This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Verse 1. And seeing the multitude, he went up into on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and talked to them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile, let's revile, 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 and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for they persecute the prophet who were before you. Amen. Father, we come to you again this morning, uh, Lord, asking for your gift of understanding here, Lord. We uh, have before us truths that are far, far beyond our reach, Lord, apart from your, your help. Lord, we ask that you bring these things home to us in our own hearts, our own lives. Make them realities that we, uh, we may bear fruit in this world. That we may mirror your glory. Lord, teach us what it is to be uh, children of the kingdom. What it means to be Christ-like Christians. Lord, these characteristics that we are studying about now, we, we know we're, we're totally dependent upon You to make them realities in our lives. So we pray for that. Grant understanding. I ask that You enable me to speak the very message You would have delivered here. And again, Enable all of us to hear for the edification of your people for salvation, those who do not know you, and ultimately for your honor and glory and praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, David. I appreciate that. And again, we, we, uh, as we go through the Beatitudes, we are considering uh, here what Jesus is laying out here are characteristics of citizens of the kingdom. So another way we could say that is this. What He's giving us are characteristics of the Christian man or woman, Christian person. These are attributes or qualities of the Christian one who has been born again by the Spirit of God. 
one who is a partaker of the divine nature. One who is called and set apart for the glory of God. One who is uh, to inherit eternal life and the kingdom of God. Now, I pointed out before, but just as a reminder, this term blessed is uh, the Greek word for happy. So, Jesus is essentially saying, this is the only true happiness. A lot of uh, talk, a lot of writing, uh, television shows, movies, in our day, isn't there, on, on the happy life. You know, how to live the happy life. How to be happy. Well, here it is. Here's, here's the only true happy life. The only true blessed life. And He's giving us a description of it. Happy are the poor in spirit. This is contrary... Thinking to the world, as we've mentioned before. This is not how the world thinks of happiness. And yet, Jesus is saying this is true happiness. This is, this is how it manifests. Happy are the poor in spirit. That is, those who are spiritually bankrupt and know it. And know that their only hope is God. Their only hope is Christ. They bring nothing to the table, so to speak. They're poor. They're poor in spirit. We, we, come, we come to God with nothing to offer Him. That's the only true happiness. We are receivers of His grace. Happy are those who mourn. Boy, there's a paradox. Happy are the mourners. And the idea is this, as we discussed previously, Those who mourn over sin. Those who mourn over their own sinfulness, indwelling sin. Those who have the the struggle going on within, the war going on within that Paul describes in Romans 7. Those who realize, like Paul, that there is nothing good in me. And they mourn over that reality. And they mourn over the State of society, the state of our culture, the sinful pursuits, the sinful manifestations, the godlessness that goes on around us. They, they mourn over that. They're mourners in that sense. As was Jesus. He was a man of sorrows. And they mourn over people. Individuals who are in bondage to sin. They mourn over what sin is doing to people around them. Paul expressed his desire for the salvation of his kinsmen, the Jews. He was greatly troubled over the fact that they rejected Christ and we're on the road to perdition. He mourned over that. And yet, the state of that person, the mourner, is a happy state. Because there's an answer to those things. They mourn over their own sin. We mourn over our own sin, but at the same time are comforted in that there is salvation in Christ. 
I mean, there's, there's true and genuine salvation now, assurance of salvation and hope of eternal life now, and then we have that eternal future to look forward to when we are in His presence forever. So we're, we mourn and at the same time we're comforted. And that's a happy state, Jesus says. If, if you, if you see the bankruptcy of your own soul and you have nothing to offer God yet, you are a recipient of the kingdom of heaven, you're in a happy state. If you mourn because of your own sin and because of the, the sin all around you, yet you're comforted because you know Christ and you know the hope of eternal life, then you're in a happy state. And happy are the meek, the submissive, the humble. Again, contrary to the thinking of the world, this is not what the world thinks of as the road to happiness. The world embraces the idea of self-assertion. And if you want to be happy, you need to get better at that. No, Jesus says, happy are the meek. Those who have submitted themselves to the will of God. For they shall inherit the land, the earth. They've submitted to God and to the will of God and they will receive the covenant blessings that come with the knowledge of Him. Heirs of the kingdom and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's a happy state, Jesus says. You're meek, but you inherit all the blessings of the covenant. And today we pick up in verse 6. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And again, a promise is tied to it. They're happy because or for they shall be filled. And all of these things are characteristics of the Christian, not of some Christians, all Christians. And they're not uh, dispersed, you know, like we talk about the, the spiritual gifts, for example, in, in Corinthians. And uh, Paul says the Holy Spirit distributes as He wills. So not everybody has the same gift. Well, that's not the case here. Here he's describing what is the case with every Christian. They're poor in spirit. They mourn. They're meek. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. They are merciful. They are pure in heart. They are peacemakers. And they suffer persecution. And in all these things, they're in a happy state for it. It's the only true happiness. The only true life of happiness. So today, verse 6, Blessed are those, or happy are those, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, let's kind of take this uh, this phrase, uh, you know, just uh, this statement rather, in, in uh, uh, a few parts here. The way that he's laid it out, we've already talked about the word happy, and it's the idea of uh, the word blessed. It's the idea of being happy or prospered, congratulated. You could say true blessing, true happiness. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, what is righteousness, first of all? What is righteousness? What's he talking about? Now, this, this again, is, uh, is essential to the Christian life because 
Righteousness is essential to the Christian life. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness. I want, I want to give you, uh, just, just kind of describe it this way. Three, uh, three aspects of it. Uh, first of all, positional righteousness. Uh, secondly, practical righteousness. And then thirdly, perfect righteousness. And, and all of these aspects, which I, which I think sum up the whole, all of these aspects are something that the Christian longs for. I mean, what Jesus is describing here is a passion, a desire. John MacArthur states it this way, This beatitude speaks of strong desire of driving pursuit of a passionate force inside the soul. It has to do with ambition. Ambition of the right sort. Whose object is to honor, obey, and glorify God by partaking of His righteousness. Longing for righteousness. Well, first of all, positional righteousness. Like I say, we're just giving you different aspects here of, I think, what Jesus means by righteousness. Blessed, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Positional, positional righteousness is being right with God. Being in right relationship to God. And this is where the Christian life begins. And remains a desire, a longing to be right with God and to remain right with Him. To know Him, the way Paul says it in Philippians 3, to know Him, that I may know Him. Philippians 3.10, you would think, well, didn't the Apostle Paul know the Lord? Certainly he did. And he wanted to keep knowing Him and to know Him better. In other words, grow in His knowledge. He wanted that knowledge to become more intimate. To know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. Being made conformable to His death. Paul saying simply, I want to be like Christ even to the point of suffering and death. I want to be like Christ. I want to know Him. And that is more important to me than anything. So, positional righteousness is being in right relationship to God. 1 John 1.7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ. His Son cleanses us from all sin. We walk in the light as He is in the light. 1 John 3.7, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. In 1 John 4.17, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so 
are we in this world. We're in right relationship to Him, and that is reflected in our life. We have been made right with God through the sacrifice of His Son. Through faith in Jesus Christ, the, the atonement that Jesus provided for us brings us into right relationship to God. We've been reconciled to Him. Right relationship. That's positional righteousness. And it's a gift of grace. Not something you can work for and earn. Not something you can do something to receive. Remember, blessed are the poor in spirit. We, we have nothing of value to offer. We come empty before Him. Totally dependent on His riches. Totally dependent on His mercy. And by grace, through faith in Christ, we're brought into right relationship to God. That's positional righteousness. And the Christian longs for that. And as I said a moment ago, that's how the Christian life starts. That's how someone is saved, isn't it? There's a, there's a deep concern for relationship to God. In other words, what is it? What is my relationship to God? Is it, am, am I in right standing or am I under His wrath? The Christian life begins with that concern. The soul of the individual is stirred up to the point that that becomes a real, genuine concern to them. Where do I stand with Christ? Am I in His favor? Or does His wrath dwell on me? Jesus says, happy is the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. You want to be in right standing with God. That becomes all important. Matters more to you than anything else in the world. That's characteristic of the true Christian. And secondly, practical righteousness. It was also alluded to in some of the verses I just read. Walking in the light. That's practical righteousness. Because we're in right relationship to God, and because He is light, we walk in the light. Not an option. Not an option for the Christian. You read 1 John, by the way, and one of the things that will strike you about 1 John is how black and white it is. And I know that's politically incorrect in our day. Nobody likes things black and white. Everybody wants plenty of gray area. <laughs> Especially when you're talking about relationship to God. Lots of gray. Lots of gray. Nobody can say that this is right and that's wrong. But the Scripture never hesitates to say, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. The implication is, if we do not, then it does not. If we don't walk in the light as He is in the light, then we don't have fellowship in the truest sense and we're not cleansed cleansed from sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as He is righteous. Again, 1 John 3, 7. 
practical righteousness. He who practices righteousness is righteous. In 1 John 4.17 again, I know I read it earlier, but here it is again. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. What a statement that is. As He is, so are we in this world. We are like Him, John is saying. We, we bear resemblance. We bear characteristics of our God if we are truly children of light, children of the kingdom. And again, the Christian, the true Christian, Jesus is saying, hungers for this. The happy person, the happy man, is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Positional righteousness, righteousness we, 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 our greatest desire is to be made right with God. And then we, we want that reflected in our own life. We've got a hunger and a thirst, a passion, a desire, a drive to live out righteousness. The Christian walks in righteousness insofar as we reflect the glory of God. In other words, we mirror His holiness. We display His excellencies or His perfections. <laughs> I told you before I like that word. John, Jonathan Edwards, uh, that's how he would describe the attributes of God. His excellencies. We walk in the light. We walk in righteousness insofar as we mirror the excellencies of God. We, we display His grace, His mercy, His love, His hatred of sin. Blessed are those who mourn, right? God hates sin. Jesus was a man of sorrows. The Christian man, the truly happy man, mourns over sin. He mirrors the attributes of God in that way. Let me give you just two more things here, just as a, as a description of practical righteousness. Two ways of thinking about it, I think. One is, is, is the personal aspect, which we were just talking about. In other words, the Christian longs to please God in all things. The Christian longs to please God in all things, desiring to live out the will of God. For example, 1 Corinthians 10.31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is a passion for the Christian. It's not an option. It's a passion for the truly blessed man, the truly happy man, the child of the kingdom. He desires or she desires to glorify God in all things, whether you eat or whether you drink. And, and think about that for a moment. The very things that the Holy Spirit chooses to give as examples in 1 Corinthians 10.31 are things that we think of as nothing. Eating and drinking to the glory of God? Yes, that's what He's saying. It, it, it penetrates every area of our life. 
to the extent that, that, that those, those little things that seem so meaningless to us should still be done for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And we could argue from the lesser to the greater. If, if that is true of these insignificant things, things we think of as insignificant, if that is true of eating and drinking, then how much more in my career, in my marriage, in public worship, how much more in Areas that appear to be more significant should we desire to glorify Him. The Christian longs for personal, practical righteousness. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Here's Paul's, uh, another of Paul's exhortations to the Corinthian church. I just gave you one, 1 Corinthians 10.31. Here's another one, 2 Corinthians 7.1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, and, not, and, and don't stop there, not only the flesh, the filthiness of the Spirit as well. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God, Paul says. That's the pursuit of the Christian. Or as Jesus says, that's the pursuit of the truly happy man. He longs for that. Another example, Paul's prayer for the Colossians. I love this passage, and if, if you... Uh, If you want to know how to pray for me, in other words, what would be my request? What, how would I ask that you pray for me? Well, go to Colossians chapter 1 and, and, and pray the prayer that Paul prayed for the Colossians. I'm just going to give you a part of it here, verse 10. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's an awesome prayer. Paul says, Paul says to the Colossians, here's how I'm praying for you, brothers and sisters, that you walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You know, I would suggest this. You know, one reason Paul prayed that way for them, because that was his own desire himself. He had, a, he had a passion, he had a desire to please God in all things. He had a desire to be fruitful for the glory of God. He had a desire to increase in the knowledge of God, just like I quoted earlier from Philippians 3.10. There's his, there's his heart, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. So that's how he prayed for the Colossians. Here's Paul's command to the Philippians. Philippians 2, 14, 15. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights 
in the world. Practical righteousness. Personal, practical righteousness. The other aspect of practical righteousness is just uh, what I would call universal, or, or you say it this way, what I'm, what I'm referring to is, is, uh, is justice. In other words, when you, look, when you look out at the world, the Christian, the happy man, hungers and thirsts for a just society. A, a society in which righteousness dwells. A society where the people and the governing bodies and the judicial bodies can make right decisions instead of things like legalizing the murder of unborn babies. The happy man, the Christian, the blessed man longs for, longs for a just society. And one reason for that is, well, one reason for that is because we have the Spirit of God within us. And He is just. He is righteous and He is just. And He hates sin. And because we're children of the kingdom, we do belong to a just society. We don't know it in its fullness yet. But God has planted within us a desire for it. A taste of it in that we know His Spirit. We have the earnest uh, of His Spirit. So we know something about a righteous and just society. And our heart cries out for it. Cries out for the manifestation of it. Paul says in Romans, we groan. In fact, all of creation, he says, groans for it. So the happy man... The Christian hungers and thirsts for personal, practical righteousness and for righteousness in society, a just society. So that's practical righteousness. And positional righteousness is essentially being saved, being in right relationship to God. Now, finally, perfect righteousness. And all I mean by this, and I'll, I'll be briefer on this than I were, was on the others, all I mean by this, for example, is we were just talking about uh, the longing for a just society. And we were just talking about the longing for personal holiness. And those things can and should be lived out here and now in this present world. In other words, Christians really ought to be doing what Paul said uh to the Corinthians, for example, um, cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We, we ought to be about the business of doing that now. That ought to be a, a desire, a passion to be holy. But the fullness of it is not going to be realized here in this world. And so what I mean by perfect righteousness is that day when it is complete, when it is perfected, when we enter the eternal state and sin will no longer 
be a part of our experience. (laughs) What an awesome truth to look forward to. The hymn writer says, When He shall come with trumpet sound, O may I then in Him be found, dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Happy is the man who hungers and thirsts for that. The finished state, the fullness of our salvation, which is yet to be revealed. So that when we see Him, John says, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Amen. There is a fountain, William Cowper wrote. Dear dying Lamb, Thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Be saved to sin no more. (laughs) To sin no more. Till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. That's the longing of the Christian man. He's got a passion for that, a desire for that. A desire for the time when sin will be no longer a part of his experience because there will be perfect righteousness in the individual and in the kingdom, because at that point we'll, we'll know the fullness of the kingdom. And it will be a right and just society. There, there won't be any unrighteousness within it. There, righteousness dwells. 2 Peter 3.13, Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Perfect righteousness. Now, let me say this in regard to those things, because this is the sum of all we've been saying. To be righteous is to be holy, as He is holy. Blessed is the man who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. To be holy as he is holy. That's what he's describing. It's commanded. In the Old Testament, Leviticus 11, 44 and 45, I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore... Consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This is part of the Mosaic Law. Verse 45, For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 19.2 
Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. New Testament, 1 Peter 1, 15-16. Peter quotes from the passage we just read. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. That's 1 Peter 1, 15-16. Holiness. First John 3, 3. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Happy is the man who hungers and thirsts for that. So that's the righteousness Jesus is talking about. Now, secondly, what does it mean to be hungry and thirst? What does it mean to hunger and thirst? Well, we've really, I think, pretty much already answered that um, just by describing it. But let me say a little bit more about it here. Uh, When a person is hungry, (laughs) there's a recognition, isn't there, that something's lacking. And when there's, just physically speaking, naturally speaking, when there's a void in my stomach, signals get sent to the brain. And there's a, there's a desire for satisfaction. There's an acknowledgement, acknowledgement of a need and a longing just desire to satisfy that need. Happy is the man who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. That is, he, he recognizes the lack of it. The Christian is poor in spirit, remember? He, he's the mourner. He realizes, spiritually speaking, he's empty, bankrupt. And he mourns over his own sin. And he longs for, has a passionate desire for, that righteousness which he does not possess in and of himself. He recognizes the lack and longs for filling. He's hungry. Now I can't. I, I'm, you know, I, I try to use words like strong, <laughs> strong desire, passion, and that's because you, you can't really overstate what Jesus is saying here. He's, he's not talking about an attitude of. I can take it or leave it. I, 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 I get a taste of that. I, I get a view of Christ and I, I get a little bit of the Word. And I, 
I can appreciate that. I mean, I can take it or leave it. No, he's, he's talking about a strong desire for it. It becomes everything to you. Psalm 42.1. Remember we read earlier? Song of the sons of Korah. They cry out, As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I appear before God, the psalmist says. My, my soul thirsts like a deer pants for water. He's, he's, he's not just saying, look, I, I can see there's something missing here, but I mean, I'm okay. No, he's saying, there's something missing here that I've got to have. It's essential to life. I need it. My soul longs for it, pants for it, thirsts for it. Jesus is saying, that's the only happy man. Jesus is saying, that's characteristic of Christians. It's not, God, I, I, I can take Him or leave Him. I can fellowship with Him or not fellowship with Him. I can fellowship with His people or not. It's i got to have it. i got to have it because it's all a part of His righteousness. It's all a part of Him, the things of God, spiritual things. And I've got to have it. Just like you have to have physical food, sustenance, in order to live physically, Righteousness is essential to the spiritual life. It's not an option. And finally, what does it mean to be filled? Here's where the promise comes in. And this is why Jesus says this man is happy. I mean, in all the cases we've read so far, and it's going to be cases we go through here, there's a promise tied to the, uh, the particular quality that he describes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for... Or you could say, because. Or theirs is the kingdom of, God, of heaven. That's why they're happy. They're, you, you, would, you might say, well, I'm wondering why would somebody who's spiritually bankrupt be happy? Because the kingdom of heaven is given to them. As I said earlier, they have nothing to give. We have nothing to give. We're receivers. We're blessed. And blessed are those who mourn because they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, because they're going to inherit the land. Covenant blessings. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. And it's an unqualified, other than you've you got a hunger and thirst. But other than that, it's just, it's just stated as fact. Not maybe, hopefully. No, it's, it's, it's an assurance. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. And I think it's just like all aspects of the kingdom. 
It's already and it's not yet. So when he says, they shall be filled, it's like his saying, they shall be comforted or they shall receive the kingdom of heaven. It's not just out there in the future. It's now. He's saying they are happy now. Now. Now, it does have both of those aspects already and not yet. So, we have the kingdom. Believers, Christians have the kingdom now. And yet, we don't know the fullness of it now. That's not yet. Blessed are those who mourn because you'll be comforted now. You're already comforted through the knowledge of Christ and the knowledge of God the hope of eternal life. So you're already comforted, and yet, we don't know the fullness of that comfort, so there's an aspect, a sense, in which it is not yet. Same here. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You're filled with the righteousness of Christ now. It's applicable now if you're a believer. The void is full if you have Christ. And yet, there's a sense in which it is not fully realized because, just for example, we were talking about practical holiness. We still struggle with sin, right? Even though we're saved, if you believe on Christ, you're saved. But as long as you're in this world, you struggle with sin. You struggle with self. There's a war going on inside. The flesh struggles against the Spirit. So the fullness of this... Fullness. <laughs> he says, you shall be filled. And, and, and let me just... Let me just paraphrase that this way. And actually, it is translated this way in another... In another passage, what does he mean by filled, satisfied? When you when you're hungry, what do you want? Food. You want you want your hunger satisfied. When you're when you're thirsty, I mean when you're really thirsty, and, and you take you take water, which is really the best thirst quencher, but you take water and you turn it up and you and you get all you want and you set it down and say, satisfied. That's what he's saying. Happy is the man who hungers and thirsts after righteousness because he'll be satisfied. It's a promise. That kind of hunger and thirst will be satisfied. Just like he said to the woman at the well. If you knew who it was who's speaking to you, he says, you'd have asked me for a drink and I'd give you water and you'd never thirst again. Satisfied. Satisfied. That's what he's saying. So there's a sense in which we are not, we, we don't know the fullness yet of this satisfaction because we still struggle with sin in our life. But the day is coming when it'll no longer be a part of our experience. And our passion, our desire for 
righteousness will be fully satisfied. Let me just give you a little, before we close, um, before we leave off that point. Marvin Vincent says this about the word satisfied here, the Greek word that's uh, translated uh, filled here in Mark 8. It's translated satisfy. Um, He says this is a very strong and graphic word originally applied to feeding and fattening the feeding and fattening of animals in a stall. It is used of, uh, I'm sorry, in Revelation 19.21, it is used of the filling of the birds with the flesh of God's enemies. Also, of the multitudes fed with the loaves and fishes, Matthew 14.20, Mark 8.8, and Luke 9. 17. And Mark's account is where, uh, in the King James, it's translated uh, satisfy. They're, they're asking, the disciples are asking the question, how, how, should, how are we going to have enough food to satisfy these people? <clears throat> Vincent goes on to say about this word, it is manifestly appropriate here as expressing the complete satisfaction of spiritual hunger and thirst. Hence, Wycliffe's rendering, uh, when, when uh, Wycliffe translated the uh, uh, Bible into English in the, in the uh, 16th century, Wycliffe's, Wycliffe's rendering is fulfilled, the word fulfilled. And Vincent says, uh, Wycliffe's rendering is strictly true to the original. Blessed is the man who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for he shall be fulfilled. You'll be satisfied. Satisfied. So, Jesus is saying this, this is the only true happiness. That you would hunger and thirst after righteousness. That you do. He's saying this, this is what Christians do. This is what the children of the kingdom do. They hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now, let me say this in closing. You cannot make yourself righteous. If you think about that for a moment, the only only happy state is to hunger and thirst after righteousness. You cannot make yourself righteous. And let's take it a little further. You cannot make yourself hunger and thirst. For righteousness. The, the truth is, everybody, whether they know it or not, now back in verse 3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. He's saying, uh, I think you could paraphrase it this way, happy are the poor in spirit, meaning happy are the ones who know they're poor in spirit. You know, they, they recognize it. And so theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But the truth is, everybody is spiritually bankrupt. They just don't know it. And nobody has the power to change that except God. The only happy state is to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be poor in spirit, to mourn, 
to be merciful, to be meek, to be peacemakers, and yet these are things that you and I cannot produce. So what do you do? I love what uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says in answer to that, because he says so often people think the answer is, you know, you do nothing because you can't, you know, you can't make yourself righteous, you can't make yourself hungry and thirst for it, so I guess you just do nothing. Wrong answer. His answer is this, put yourself in the way of it. Put yourself in the way of it. Blind Bartimaeus could not make himself see. You read Mark 10. He had a desire. He had a passion to see. That is analogous to what we're talking about here. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. A passion for righteousness. Blind Bartimaeus had a passion to see. That was, that was a consuming desire to see. And he, he had not the power. He had the desire, but not the power to do it. So what did he do? What he did do, to use Lloyd Jones's words, is put himself in the way of it. In, other, in the road. In other words, when Jesus came down the road, <laughs> blind Bartimaeus is crying out to him. He heard somebody said, you know, this is Jesus of Nazareth going by, and blind Bartimaeus started crying out. Son of man, son of David, have mercy on me. It's always struck me. <laughs> The Scripture says, Jesus stood still. I'm telling you, if you cry out to Jesus, you've got His attention. You cannot make yourself see any more than blind Bartimaeus. You cannot make yourself hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus can. So what you need to do is get to Him. Cry out to Him. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do? And Bartimaeus said that I may have my sight. Give me sight. And Jesus said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And that man went away seeing because of the power of God. And Jacob Wrestled with an angel. He said, I'm not turning you loose until I get blessed. <laughs> the woman with the issue of blood, she fought through, pressed her way through a crowd just to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. Couldn't heal herself. But she could press in. Cry out to Jesus. Get to Him. 
and beg for mercy. I heard a preacher say one time, I think this is also, this is a lot lighter way of saying it. I think it's a good way. He said, if you're not hungry, get around somebody that's cooking. Because a lot of times when you start smelling that food, you get hungry. And if you just submerge yourself in the world and then wonder why you're not getting hungry for righteousness, you have distanced yourself from the smell. But you get in the Word of God, <laughs> immerse yourself in that instead of in the world, and you get around God's people as much as you can, where there's cooking going on, and then you may find, in fact, I would say you probably will find that your hunger is getting more intense. Because you're picking up the aroma. And that's the only happy state. Blessed is the man who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for Jesus said, he shall be satisfied. Would you stand? Quick reminder, we're going to meet tonight for the Christmas program at 6. Um, hope you can all be here. And uh, also have some fellowship afterwards. We're just going to close here with a word of prayer. Uh, David, you mind leading us in a word of prayer, please? This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation, which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.